lifestyle of grace. How does grace impact us such that our lives are transformed in and through and for the grace of God? Who are you? Name, dad, husband, brother, friend. Or as Joe communicated very well last week in his sermon, I am a child of God. Amen? We're still trying to get that one to lock in. Because too often our experiences and our own shortcomings cause us to question if I could be a child of God. But God is clear through Christ. He makes you a child of God. Amen. But if I ask you who you are today, I'm a preacher talking to a congregation. I know that some of you on Sunday morning walking out the door have said, gosh, I felt like that sermon was just for me. But it's for you. In Texas, it's easier even though they misuse it all the time because I can say y'all. We are the family of God. We are the church. And I want to suggest to you that the church, we, are in crisis. Some of that crisis comes from COVID and the separation that it wrought on us. Some of that crisis is at St. Tim's is all the changes that have happened, some in staffing and in pastoral leadership, some in people who left in COVID and either moved away or passed away or just have not returned. And so the church just is not the same because the same people aren't here. And so we feel less connected. Some of that crisis has been nurtured into your worldview as Western thinkers because you think as individuals and your identity is found in that individual idea that I am me, I am unique and I only choose to interact with others when I want to, when I need to. It's, it's, it's centered in a vision of self as individual. Now, I know that you may find this hard to believe, but that's not true of most of our, what we often call, minority communities. It's actually not true in the majority of the world. In the majority of the world, apart from the Western industrialized nations, people have an identity that is community-based. They know themselves as a we, at the very least as a family, but often as a village, as a community. And their first sense of identity is, I'm, and they state the name of their village, the name of their people group. That's who they are. And when we lose a sense of that, we lose a great sense 
of who God has created us to be. Pastor Joe threw a stumping question at me this morning. I'm just throwing this in at this point in the sermon, so pause, hold. Uh, what is the first experience in the Bible of something that's not good? My first thought went to Cain and Abel, and I went, oh no, it's not Cain and Abel, it's the tree, right? I mean, it's the, it's the fall, it's the sin. And he said, no. God created man, and he said, it is not good that man should be alone. And then God creates woman, and he jumps for the first time to it being good, to it being very good. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we are made, we are created for community. And when we don't have it, we know deeply that something is lacking in our lives. And when we don't have it at church, we know there's something lacking in our faith and in our faith community. Let's keep that in mind then as we think about things like the golden rule. You know, the golden rule is... Uh, a moral obligation to treat others ethically for their sake, not ours, even, even if it's better than the way they treat us. Why? Not because it's an advantage to us, but because it's the right thing to do. We are to treat others as we would want them to treat us. You've heard that, right? You know that golden rule, right? You know it's not in the Bible, right? That's, that's not what the Bible says about how we're to treat others. In fact, it talks about it in the form of the great commandment. And sometimes if you ask people what is the great commandment, they might even answer, love your neighbor as yourself. And I want to suggest to you that if you don't have the first part of the answer, you get the second part of the answer completely wrong. Because it will come across as a law that you cannot accomplish. But in fact, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. The first commandment is there is one God, and we are called to love God with everything we are through and through. You shall not take vengeance, Leviticus 19 tells us, nor bear any grudge against the children of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Did you think Jesus came up with this? This is Old Testament Levitical law. It says when there's a problem... Don't avenge yourself. Instead, love your neighbor. Maybe that's where forgive as you've been forgiven comes from. Because when there's that kind of antagonism that happens between peoples, that we have this desire to take vengeance, we're called to forgive as we've been forgiven. Hard to do, amen? Hard to do. But I want to suggest to you that in the order of things, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, 
mind and strength and your neighbor as yourself, there's a reason that comes in that order, and it's so that we look first to who God is. And as we discover who God is and that he loves us, and as we discover who God is and that he loves others, that then by looking at who God is, we turn to love our neighbor not by looking at who they are. Who is my God that will determine who I am and what my actions are? That will be the cause for loving my neighbor. It's not about who my neighbor is. It's about who I am. In the story of the Good Samaritan, we often read that story and we think, okay, the moral to the story is if there's a stranger hurt, we need to help them out. There's someone in a bad way, we need to help them. Well, that's a true part of the story, but when the story's over, Jesus asked the person listening to the story, who was the neighbor? And the answer was that ugly-looking good Samaritan guy. How could a Samaritan be good? They're the enemy. And Jesus says, go be like the Samaritan, meaning this. Don't worry about who your neighbor is. Go be a neighbor Because it's about who God is and who you are, not who they are or what they deserve. I do what's right for me to do because I'm a child of God. We do what it's right for us to do, loving our neighbor because we serve a loving God who first loved us. Listen to this from our second reading today. As a prisoner For the Lord, as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble. You know, I would think if I lived a life worthy of the calling I've received, I'd be pretty proud of myself. I I would think that if if I could actually, you know, live up to that kind of calling, you know, people would look up to me. That would be a status thing, right? Wow, you're amazing. Way more amazing than I actually am, but it doesn't work that way. It says, be completely humble, be gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love. And he suggested another way, carrying one another's burdens. Listen, it goes on. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body. What does that mean? There's one body. What is the one body being referred to here? Us, the church. There is one body, there is one Lord, excuse me, one spirit, just as you were called in the one hope when you were called. See, the problem is, is this calling into the church, this this redemption that brings us back to God through the death and resurrection of Jesus also brings us together as the people of God. And it flies up against the values that we've been taught in the Western world our whole lives that says that the individualism, self-sufficiency, uniqueness, autonomy, independence, aren't those all great things? I mean, that's, that's when we think we've really got it together. But we're called instead, 
says, And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, And you shall all, in you shall all the nations be blessed. The gifts you're given are so that you can be a part of the body. The uniqueness that you're given is so that you can be a part of the body. There's a a community in which this life is lived out. It's not just about me. It's not just about you. It truly is about us. And by the way, folks, if you're not uncomfortable yet, you might not be listening. 1 Corinthians, just before it says that, it says this, a spiritual gift is given to each one of us so that we can help each other. Why does God bless you? so that you can help one another. How can you do that if you don't know each other? How can you do that if you're not involved in each other's lives? How can you do that if you only sit in the pew together on Sunday morning for an hour a week? That's not the church. And and most of you know it. Because most of you are connected to the church. Most of you feel good about the church because you have friends here. Because you have people here who have been meaningful to you, who've been there for you through tough times, who've been connected, who come and sit next to you every Sunday because it's my friend. And a part of the reason I come to church is to sit next to my friend. Now, I like the preaching, and I want to be there for the preaching. I say, yeah, it me feel a little bit better. But, but I'm really there because I'm connected And so imagine how it feels for those who are not connected. Or just stop for a moment and ask yourself the question, who am I missing this morning who used to be here, who was my friend, who is not here anymore? And instantly I see a heavy sigh. The grief, the loss, because those relationships are real. And I want to encourage you, if those people are still around, give them a call. Reach out to them. Invite them back or invite them over for coffee or go see them. Because those connections matter. And those connections are worth investing in in the life of the church. COVID and change has robbed us of so many of those important connections that were created to live in. There's such a joy when you live in that community, when you're recognized. There was a, we were hiring a youth director at our church in Tucson, and, and one of the candidates at a get-together to get to know them asked the question of the youth in the church, said, what do you like best about this church? And one of our youth said the best answer I could have ever hoped for. She said this. She said, I know I'm loved there. This is in the midst of a youth group that doesn't quite have critical mass. You know the struggle when there's just not quite enough kids to make it a really fun time. There's just a couple and we're going to... She said she was talking about the adults 
that were delighted to see her when she walked into church on Sunday morning. I know I'm loved there. Do you know you're loved here? Do you remember to say to others, to remind them that they're loved here? Brothers and sisters in Christ, this isn't just a need. This is our identity. This is who God created us to be, to go from it's not good to it's very good. Now you are the body of Christ and individual members of it. If you think you don't matter, you're desperately wrong. You matter. You have a role, a place, a part of the body, and the body is not healthy without you. And the body is not healthy without those who are missing. And so I say we're a church in crisis because we need to be whole. I am the church, and you are the church. But the truth is we are the church together. It's true here, and it's true in our relationship with Christ's church throughout the world. As we meet brothers and sisters in Christ in other places, we need to see and identify them as our brothers and sisters, as those for whom Christ died so that we could be restored. Holy Communion, we're taking it this morning, and it is for you, but it is also for you. Or maybe I should say it is for you and it is for y'all. What, when Christ gives his blood and his body for you to redeem you and make you whole, to forgive you of sin, he's also forgiving you of those things that keep you from one another, as well as those things that keep you from him. So that forgiveness and redemption is in the community, so that it is communion for a community that God restores into his likeness. More and more, we need to seek to find ways to live in community. Now, I was talking to Joe about this because we're doing this series, you'll remember, uh, Lifestyle of Grace. And a part of what we're trying to get into our heads, into our souls, is Lifestyle of Grace is not striving to be something we're not. Lifestyle of grace is simply enjoying, living out the hope and joy, the goodness that God has already created in us. And I'm thinking, yeah, but Joe, I need to tell them to be nicer to one another. I need to tell them to be more welcoming to one another. I need to tell them to invest in friendships, invite each other to coffee, go out to dinner, pray for each other, talk to each other, share each other's story. We got some stuff to do. And it dawned on me, I don't want you to strive into this. What I want you to do is open your arms and open your hearts and receive those whom God brings to you. Don't hold them at a distance. Welcome them into your lives. Don't be satisfied with a handshake or even a prayer on Sunday morning. Go for a walk. Have a meal. Enjoy an outing. 
Visit each other in your homes. Invite people into your lives. See, brothers and sisters in Christ, we're not simply called to invite people to worship. Somewhat challenging sometimes. Or even to invite people to Jesus, which is also sometimes challenging sometimes, even though we know we're supposed to do it. Amen? No, 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 no. Amen? We want, we want people to know Jesus. Amen? But what we forget is that, that by inviting people into your life, it's where they're going to discover and see Jesus in you. The real Jesus in the midst of the mess and the muck. The real Jesus who helps us in our struggles as well as who helps us to celebrate. Who gives us hope and joy and sustenance and strength, especially in the hard times. And sometimes, brothers and sisters in Christ, even as a pastor, I don't see Jesus very well until one of you shows up to love, to encourage, to share your faith with me so that my faith mixed with your faith gives me hope. The lifestyle of grace is a life lived in community where we bear with one another, where we allow the love of God to pour through us to love others who we still need to invite in to our lives as well as our church, our struggles, and our faith. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we are the church. Thanks be to God. Amen.